of the Newswires, powered by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab. Hello, everyone. Welcome to From the Newswires. For this uh, episode today, we're talking about what's happening in uh, China today. So for today's episode, we're talking to one of the experts or the most expert on in relation with this uh, China and Inter-Indo-Pacific area and as well as U.S. policy as well. So our guest for today is Professor Gordon Flake. is the founding chief executive officer of the Perth U.S. Asia Center at University of Western Australia. So Professor Flake is one of the world's leading authorities on strategic development in Indo-Pacific, having spent 25 years in the U.S. foreign policy community focused on Korean Peninsula and Northeast Asia. Please welcome to the From the Newswire, Professor Gordon Flake. Hello. Well, thank you, Miko. Looking forward to this conversation. Okay. So, the the question, the first question I have for you is that, what, in relation with the China unrest right now? So, what, what it started? So, why this? Usually, China is very strict and very uh, out of the media, and now it's blooming across across different part of China. Well, look, um, um, China and the United States have long-standing relations. Uh, today, it's tempting to kind of fall into this idea somehow that uh, they're antagonists and the U.S. is anti-China. So even though I'm an Australian citizen, uh, I'm originally from the United States and I have both dual U.S. and, and Chinese citizens, uh, U.S. and Australian citizenship, rather. Um, um, and it's important to remember that for the better part of the last 70 years, uh, the most vocal advocate for China was the United States. Uh, there were allies during World War II. Uh, the United States was insistent, even though that its size and uh, economic strength at the time didn't warrant it, that China was in the UN Security Council, initially as the Republic of China and then the People's Republic of China. And for the last 30 years, it's the US that's been very vocal and advocating for China to be part of the World Trade Organization. Um, but over the last several years, uh, at least the last 10 years, uh, there has been growing concern about a change in China's trajectory. Uh, most of us, myself included, and I've been to China some 35 plus times and 40 odd cities and had hundreds of friends there, had assumed that as China grew economically and it became uh, more uh, advanced economically, that that would also be accompanied by political reform and political opening. Uh, and there were decisions made, primarily in the leadership of the Communist Party in China, to change that course. That they found that economic liberalization accompanied by political liberalization threatened the role of the Communist Party of China. Uh, and as a result, they have you know d done everything they could to strengthen the role of the Communist Party of China and that's put China in a very different trajectory. So whereas the dialogue 10 years ago between the US and China was much more about cooperation, today it's increasingly about competition. Um, and, and that is ideological, but it's also quite pragmatic. So today, US-China relations are certainly more fraught with tension than they were before. Uh, and uh, a lot of this goes back to understanding what's happening internally within China today. Um, I have long said that I am more concerned about Chinese weakness than I am Chinese strength. And one person I know who agrees with me 
is President Xi Jinping. Uh, if you look at the last 10 years of his term uh, and just last month at the Party Congress, everything that he has done and that the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party has done, I believe to be clearly motivated not by confidence or self-confidence out of some positive vision for the future, but out of concern uh, for stability, for China's economy, for political control, out of paranoia. Uh, and I think we saw that again at the Chinese People's uh, uh, the, the, the Party Congress in, in October. And so if you're asking me what's happening today, uh, the crackdowns on, on COVID and the pursuit of a COVID zero policy are policies that are owned by one man, Xi Jinping. Um, and they've had some real impact on the way the Chinese people interact with the world. And clearly not everyone in China is pleased with that. Yeah, so that's across, almost across the the um, the China. So sometimes they are also asking the these people to resign the, the Chinese president, uh, Chinese leader, about this uh, COVID policy. Do you think, uh, Professor Gordon, this happening right now, it can be compared to what the Iran protests doing as well for their freedom? Well, it certainly can be compared to that, although I would be cautious. It's still too early to know. You know, we have seen in the past, um, you know, pro-democracy movements be successful uh, after the Cold War in particular, uh, and we've seen them fail after the Arab Spring. Uh, and we've also seen them suppressed in China in 1989. Um, thus far, I think what you're seeing in China is much more an expression of anger about the COVID zero policy, about being cut off from the rest of the world, uh, and about some decisions on the part of the, the party leadership under the guise of COVID zero that have had some very negative impacts. And so, you know, the, the two cases that have really gotten the attention of the public in China today are the focus on, on a, a building fire in Xinjiang where, uh, where um, people, you know, were, were killed, unfortunately, because of the, the restrictions around movement associated with COVID zero policy. And another case uh, where there was a bus driver who ran off a cliff in, uh, and uh, was wearing full PPE. And, and so people have latched onto these as evidence that the COVID zero policy has gone too far and they're displeased with that. On top of that now, there are some individuals who are, are manifestly you know, dissatisfied with the leadership of the Communist Party and of its, its president, its chairman, you know, Xi Jinping. Um, and they, they said that too. But you know, we've seen a few demonstrations, quite a few actually, nationwide, numbering in the thousands. But remember, even if there were a million demonstrators out on the street today, that would still be one-tenth of one percent of the population of China. Um, so just like I think we need to be careful not to overstate the nationwide reach of what happened in, 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 in Tiananmen Square back in 1989, it's still too early for us to conclude what's really mm -hmm. happening on the ground in China. What we can do, and you're, where your question is spot on, is that we can draw a connection between that uh, and what's happening in, in Iran or what's happening in, in, in Russia in the immediate days after the war. There will always be people there or in Belarus or in, in uh, Venezuela or other places who yearn for more freedom, more freedom of expression, uh, who yearn 
not to be under a more oppressive nation state. And so, yeah, there are parallels, parallels in motivation, not necessarily parallels in outcome. So, Professor Gordon, why this is significant, this happening protest? Well, look, it's significant because of what it says about China. You know, we had all been led to believe just a month ago that Xi Jinping's power was unassailable, that after having uh, been given essentially the presidency for life, uh, having taken on a third unprecedented term as president of China, having gotten six members of the Standing Committee of the Politburo all selected based on their loyalty for Xi Jinping, that at this point there was no opposition in China. Uh, and, and again, that still may be a, a, a logical conclusion. The, the power of the state in China is very strong. The power of, of their control over information flows and media and policing are very, very strong. So it's still very premature to think even that this is a threat to Xi Jinping or a threat to the Communist Party or a threat to the state. But that said, it is surprising uh, because it's showing that, 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 that even if externally we may have concluded that you know, Xi Jinping is unassailable, there are at least some individuals within China who are willing to stand up and say no. Uh, and that's worth uh, that's worth acknowledging, uh, and 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 uh, um, you know, depending on where you one sits internationally, uh, supporting. Thank you for that. So, what do you think about how the the government respond to this protest? Is that over? It's over. Say over, too much. Well, so far they have not, right? And, and herein lies the problem, right? Xi Jinping is caught in a bit of a trap, right? If he does what he probably will do in the end, which is just over-the-top repression, right? Just eliminating any reference to these uh, demonstrations in any public media, you know, cleansing the internet, and even reference even to pieces of white paper being held up, you know, because the white papers, everybody knows what they mean. Uh, and then physically, like they did in Tiananmen and worse, kind of cracking down on and arresting anybody who dares to stand out. There's a risk that that type of a response will engender greater resentment down the line. Right. At the same time, there's also a risk for him that if he compromises, right, if he decides, OK, um, I'm going to end the covid zero restrictions um, and, um, and and respond to that, that that will then encourage further opposition. So uh, I don't think anybody knows which will be worse. Will further opposition sparked by repression be worse? Or will further opposition sparked by inspiration because it was effective be worse? Uh, And that's precisely the decision-making matrix that he is facing today. But he's doing so in a situation where there is no opposition party. There is no checks and balances or there are no checks and balances in the system. And so the risk of a miscalculation, a mistake by Xi Jinping, are, are much higher than they would have been even a decade ago. Thank you for that. So, Professor Gordon, so the protests has been since uh, over the weekend, and now different country, people in, like U.S., Malaysia, Canada, Australia, United Kingdom, doing their separate protests in the... Um, 
in solidarity with this uh, Chinese people. What, what, what do you think about that? Well, look, on the one hand, I think the courage of protesters in China should be acknowledged. It should be celebrated. It should be supported. Um, and, and so to have, you know, citizen-led candlelight demonstrations in places like Sydney or Melbourne or Toronto or Washington, that's a good thing, right? Because, you know, freedom everywhere is good for freedom everywhere, right? It's a good thing. Freedom anywhere is good for freedom everywhere, right? At the same time, I think this is a time that we have to be pretty careful um, because while obviously the international community probably welcomes, you know, expressions of freedom, what we don't want to do is to allow the Communist Party of China to, to suppress legitimate domestic political grievances in their own country under the guise that this is foreign interference. Because this is not foreign interference, right? This was not caused by the West. It was not caused by the Americans. It was not caused by the United States. Um, this is a domestic response to domestic policies in China. Um, and if we are seen as being too open in support of that, it could actually end up undermining support for these people internally in China. This is an internal issue for China to work out uh, and is a delicate dance for how and how much and how vocally governments internationally will support that. Well, thank you for that, uh, Professor Gordon Flake. So thank you for your um, information and your insight about this uh, China unrest. So last question I have, I remember, uh, I remember that U.S. National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communication, John Kirby, said on Monday that they are watching closely about about this. What what do you think about that? That even the U.S. now is looking looking the situation. Oh, look, China is probably less susceptible to international pressure or international condemnation or international embarrassment than at any point in the last 50 years. Um, but still, um, it is helpful to human rights activists and dissidents, and in this case, just protesters within China, to know that they are not going to be ignored, right? Uh, and that their stories and their activities will be known and celebrated. And so, look, when the, I, I, I don't know the particulars of U.S. policy or what the Biden administration decided to do or their White House has said, but to say that you're watching developments, it's just a bit of a, it's not a warning because it's not like the, the United States has a scenario in which the United States is going to invade China to protect these protesters. But it's useful to make sure that, that they are acknowledged and recognized Again, at the same time, there's this there's this tension because you don't want to be over the top to be perceived then as actually instigating this, what is a truly a domestic development in China and thereby undermining that cause. So uh, you can understand the, the difficulties and the sensitivities and the nuances around this particular element of foreign policy. Thank you so much, Professor Gordon Flake, the Chief Executive Officer of the Perth US Asia Center at the University of Western Australia. Thank you so much. It's another episode of From the Newswire, and this is Miko Santos. <laughs>